Good morning, Applewood family. Our guest speaker this morning is going to look familiar to you. What you've not seen before is her standing at this position at this particular time in a worship service. Just a quick word. Come on up, girl. Quick word. You, you may remember, many of you, that, that about a year ago, uh, Sarah was granted her bivocational ministry license by the Evangelical Covenant Church, our denomination. And... Uh, so I begin to, on occasion, just bother Pastor Sarah, just ever so gently, saying, so, when's your first sermon? And she would look at me like, what is wrong with you? Maybe two or three, maybe four times, not that many, right? But I noticed a transition from the look in her eyes to your nuts to more of a, there's possibilities here. I am so glad that Sarah has uh, decided, and it, and it really was. It was her decision. She said, you know, I think I've got a sermon, which I knew all along. This woman has a sermon in her, the heart, the passion for Jesus, the love for his people, and the love for God's word. So blessings on you, my dear sister. Bring God's word to us this morning. Am I on? You're on. <laughs> all right. I'm not used to this. <laughs> um, first, I want to say that the older kids are up here today. And guys, there's sermon notes in the back. And Miss Sharon has the prize box today. So adults, you too. If you want to tell her what you learned today, she'll let you pick out of the prize box. <laughs> All right. Can you believe it's the end of June already, the last day? I know, and we finally have summer, right? <laughs> I want to take us back to December, back to the end of the year. You know that time where you're thinking about the year, how it went, what went wrong, what went right, how can I make next year better? I think that's what we're always looking to do. And I kept coming across this idea of having a word or a phrase for the year. Now that seemed a little trendy or popular to me, so I kind of almost pushed it out of my mind, but the idea stuck with me. So I started researching it. And I came across some articles about being intentional, having a word or a phrase for the year that's going to help you draw closer to God and see him in new ways. Now this I could do. So I started thinking about what word would God have me choose for this year? What's he giving me? What's coming up in Bible studies, in devotions, in the lessons I'm preparing for the kids, songs, sermons, conversations? So I looked across my whole life and across especially my, my Christian walk, and fear not stood out to me. Now, some of you know that 2008 was a hard year. I lost my godmother in February, and that was a hard loss. We lost family members before, but this one caused a lot of fear. caused fear of uh, loneliness, of loss, fear for my kids. So I wanted to come into 2019 as my year of fear not. I'm going to be brave this year. <laughs> so four days into the year, January 4th, my baby sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. And over the next coming weeks, we'd hear words like triple negative and chemotherapy and double mastectomy and all these things that I wasn't familiar with. So I went to Google and I looked them up. And I don't recommend looking up medical things on Google. Because I'm sure if you looked up a paper cut, you could die. 
<laughs> I can tell you during this time, fear was not standing at my door just politely tapping and saying, excuse me, can I come in? If it's okay with you, can I come in? Picture a battering ram. Fear was banging at my door. And it's funny how fear is the opposite of what we usually think it is. We think of being timid and cowering and hiding. But fear is loud, and it's obnoxious, and it's forceful, and it wants to come in and take over life. So already I was questioning God. I was asking, did I invite this in? I chose fear not. But the answer is no. We're all going to face fear, and it doesn't matter if it comes in January, if it comes in December, whenever it is, we're going to face fear. We may face big fears. We may face those little ones we call anxiety, although those can get pretty big too. So I've been on a journey this year about what it means to fear not, even when fear is threatening to take over. Now, one of the things that really stuck out to me was during a class that I was taking through the covenant. It was the vocational excellence class, which is required for my license. I was in Colorado Springs with a host of other pastors, missionaries, a chaplain. And it was so cool to be around these people of big faith during this hard time. Um, I met a hospice chaplain named Stacy, and we got to hike and talk a lot. And I had told her one day when we found out the cancer was stage three, I was really struggling. And she asked if we could pray at the end of class. So our leader, Don, prayed. And in his prayer, he said, thank you, God, for this diagnosis so now they can treat it. He said, thank you. And I can tell you, and I'm a little ashamed of this, I hadn't even thought of thanking God during these couple weeks. I was really kind of angry at him. And so here's Don saying thank you. Because now there's a diagnosis. The cancer was there, but now we know it, and now we can treat it. And this caused a huge shift in my thinking and my perspective. So I've been learning about fear and fear not, and there's a couple of things that I want to share with you all today. So let's start with why we should fear not. Fear not is a command in the Bible, and it's for our good. It's actually the most frequent command in the Bible, so you know that it's important. And we have so many examples of people who are told to fear not or do not be afraid. And we can learn from their response, from their lives. Often, not always, but often, they were told to fear not immediately before they had to go through something hard. <laughs> I think of Mary being told that she was going to be the mother of Jesus. Here's this wonderful news. You get to be the mom of the Savior of the world. That sounds amazing, right? But on the flip side of that, here you're an unwed pregnant mom and you could be stoned to death for this. That's got to be terrifying. But she stood and obeyed and she told God, may it be as you have said. Let's think about Joshua. After Moses died, he became the leader of the Israelites. Now at the beginning of this part of his story, God tells him not to be afraid. He says in Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now immediately after this verse, Joshua tells the people to go get ready. We're going to go take the promised land. Immediately he says we're going to obey. 
Now, I think he's had some experience because 40 years ago, they were in that same spot. And they sent out the spies, and most of them came back afraid. They were scared. They said, in Deuteronomy 128, they said, Our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear because these people are stronger than us. They're taller than us. The cities are huge. They go up to the sky. And they were afraid, and they didn't choose to obey God. So he sent them into the wilderness until the next generation rose up and they were ready to obey him. So Joshua had that same choice. He'd been there before and he chose again to obey God. He could say that it was too much and that he was afraid. Or he could tell people, go get ready, we're going to obey God. Was it difficult? Yes. Were they afraid? They were facing these armies of seasoned giant men. But they knew that God was on their side, and he promised that they would have the land. So they could either obey and fear not, or they could cower. But they chose to to obey God. Now, I remember one of Guy's sermons about commands being like stop signs. God's commands are like a stop sign that we can whiz right through it if we want. We don't have to stop. But it's there for our good. And these fear nots that we find and the fear not in our life, it's for our good. Now, another reason that we can fear not is because nothing can separate us from God. Not anything in this entire world throughout all of time can separate us from God. So can we stand and read Paul's words together? I think you'll be familiar. <laughs> Is it, can you see it okay? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of God. (laughs) So nothing can separate us from God. When we are saved and we trust Jesus as our Savior, we are wholly and completely His and nothing is going to pull us away from him. And we can rest in the peace and security of being his. We can also fear not because God is enough. I think sometimes we forget who God is, or maybe honestly we don't believe he is who he says he is. He's the creator and sustainer of this entire universe. I've been recently learning about plants as Chad prepares to teach a botany course this fall. And it's really exciting. We were watching a video. (laughs) Sorry, Chad. We were watching a video about a fungus, which you think is, it's nothing, right? But we were watching about how it is designed 
So it's got two gametes, then one the next generation, then two, then one. So it can keep reproducing and thriving. And then we watched something the other day about the Amazon River and how much life it supports. And there's things that we don't even know about. We haven't studied yet. And God designed this all. It didn't happen by chance. And so we can, oh, he designed this world from the tiniest, tiniest cells that we don't even really care about out to this huge expanding universe that we can't even study it all yet. It's amazing. And we can trust in him because he sustains it all. And can we trust that he holds our lives too and that he can handle what's going on with us? Absolutely. Ah, Moses. I can't wait to meet Moses in heaven someday. (laughs) I was thinking about after he fled the palace and he lived in Midian for several years, one day as he's shepherding, he's walking along and he comes upon this bush. You know the story that's burning, it's not consumed. What strikes me in this story is that it not only talks, but it says, Moses. <laughs> and I, th- I just picture walking up to this bush, and it's not, it's not burning up, and it says my name. I would be terrified. So he goes into this conversation with God, and during this talk, God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. Wow. And Moses' answer shows how he feels. He asks God, who am I to do this? What if they ask who sent me? And God's response to Moses is, I am who I am. And that says it all. That means that God's enough. He has the power to send Moses. He has the power to bring the Israelites out of slavery and out of Egypt. Moses ends up still asking God to send someone else. I guess that wasn't enough for him right there, and I think we can relate to that. (laughs) But the Bible says when, when he asked that, that God's anger burned against him. And I can tell you all that I would much rather face my fears than to face God's anger. I think Moses learned that too. (laughs) God is enough. He gives us what we need to accomplish what he sets before us. We know that nothing can separate us from God, and we know that he is enough and he can handle it. So how can we live out fear not? We must actively trust God. That doesn't mean that we just sit down and hope that this feeling of fear just goes away. Has that ever worked for anyone? No, no, no. So here's some steps we can take to fear not. First, we can praise and thank God. Like that prayer that Don prayed, thanking God for the cancer diagnosis. Now we know about it. Now we can treat it. It changes our perspective, and it puts God in front of our fears. And we remember who he is. And that our lives really are about him and not so much about us. Now, have you all met my friend Habakkuk? A little bit. (laughs) For those of you who haven't yet. He's known as one of the minor prophets, and it's not because he's not important. His book is just really short compared to the major prophets. He got it all said real quick. Now, he's also different from the other prophets because his story is about him talking back and forth with God, not necessarily talking to the people for God. So I want to give you a little background. 
in 931 BC is when we have a split in God's people. So you have the northern kingdom of Israel and now the southern kingdom of Judah. And then in 722 BC, that's when we have the Assyrian army come and they took over the northern kingdom. So they were um, holding on to Israel and exiling people. Then in 612, almost 100 years later, the Chaldeans, who are tribes of the Babylonians, we've heard of the Babylonians, right? They rose up and defeated the Assyrians. A few years later, they started marching south on Judah, which is where Habakkuk is. And he sees them coming and he's asking God about this. Why these people are coming to invade and kill his people. So it, it starts out in Habakkuk 1, verses 2 through 4. He asks, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So Habakkuk is really asking two questions. First, he asks, how long? How long is this going to go on? And then he asks, why? Why is this happening? And I think most of us can relate to that. We can ask, how long, God, and why? Why don't you fix this right now? Why is this happening? We want him to do it because we have certain expectations of God. We think that if God loves me, I shouldn't have to go through this. Have we all been there? But God answers Habakkuk, and you may be familiar with this per first part. He says, look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Now, how many of you have heard this in a very positive context? Look at this and be amazed. That's not what God is saying here. I'm going to read what comes immediately after that. He says, I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. So this is definitely not about something wonderful that you're going to be amazed at. <laughs> not right now, anyways. God tells Habakkuk he's raising up the Babylonians. They are dreadful and they are feared. They are intent on violence. They're scary. But God is using them to correct his people and to draw them back to him. We know because we're on this side of history that he doesn't let the Babylonians rule forever and that he provides a way for salvation. He corrects his people because he loves them and he does it time and time again. Now that's not always what our fear is about, but sometimes it is and we need to recognize that no matter what the reason 
God is in control, and he knows why it's in our lives. As we continue on, Habakkuk asks some more questions, and then in chapter 2, God answers him. I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter sometimes, maybe even the whole book. It's only three chapters. Um, but I want to point out one thing right now. In Habakkuk 2.4, God says, See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The enemy is prideful and selfish, but the righteous live by faith. Living by faith doesn't just mean you believe in God. It means living, what you do every day, the choices you make, the actions you take. Does your life show that you believe God is who he says he is? Does how you live your life show that you believe he can and he will do what he says he will do? Remember, faith doesn't mean that God turns out to be who we want him to be. It means that we hold on to who he is. We know that he's able to fulfill his promises and that he's in control. And that's a good thing. In chapter 3 is Habakkuk's response back to God. He's had some time to digest, and now he's answering. He says in verse, in verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Now again, I want you to read the whole chapter for the bigger picture, but I want to skip down to verses 17 through 19. This is what I think is the core of what Habakkuk's response is. He says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Habakkuk chooses to praise God in the midst of a frightening situation. He knows for, for sure that the Babylonians are coming. He knows that things are going to get really bad. But he chooses to praise God and acknowledge who he is. He says, even if the crops fail and there's no livestock, which I can tell you means there's no food, he says he'll still praise God. He's steadfast in his praise. So we too can praise God and we can trust who he is. We can also do the opposite of what fear says to do. When it's banging at the door like that battering ram, we have the power to tell it, take a hike. Like when Moses ended up going to Pharaoh and becoming a leader for the Israelites, he took those steps and he obeyed. Where fear is threatening us, we do what God tells us to do, not what fear tells us to do. If fear is telling us to hide or that it's useless, that we shouldn't do it, we can stand against that. I'm sure most of you have heard that song by Zach Williams about fear is a liar. It is. It threatens to suffocate you or drown you. But if we don't give in, if instead we put one foot in front of the other, we take the next breath, we do what God says to do, 
then there's no way that fear can win. We can also live in community. What a gift God has, been, has given us to be able to share our faith with others. I feel so privileged to be here with you all on a Sunday morning and to get to meet during the week together and share our lives and our stories. You know, we see in the Old Testament how they had festivals and they had things to remember what God has done. And they shared those stories intentionally. And in the New Testament, the early church gathered together to share their lives. We see it throughout the Bible, and it's an example for us to follow. We can share our stories. We can share what God has done in our lives and how he's been faithful. This is an encouragement, and it can often help people face their own fears. In my particular situation with my sister, a lot of you came and talked to me about sisters and moms and all sorts of people that you know and love who have faced cancer. And I'll be honest, at first I was frustrated because you all couldn't fix it. And I hope I didn't show that in any of our conversations. But I've been so propelled to trust in God's plan. It's such a blessing to hear those stories and to hear your faith and God's faithfulness. We can also pray for each other and intervene for each other. Where we have a friend who's struggling through a situation, lift them up and let them know that you're praying for them. That's such a huge encouragement. And we know that prayer works. When we pray for strength for a friend who's going through something hard, that is a beautiful gift from God. You know, I've had the privilege to watch my sister go through cancer and to watch Guy go through cancer. And I say it's a privilege because I've had the opportunity to see their faith. They've put their lives at the feet of Jesus and said, I trust you. I'm going to go on taking the next step and the next breath. I trust you, God. So when we face fear, we have two choices. We can either run to God or away from God. In all his wisdom, he's given us this choice. Notice I said when we face fear, not if, because we will face fears. But our faith in these things gives God the glory. It puts the focus on him instead of on us. It points this world that is so full of sin and darkness to the light, to the salvation of God. So let's look beyond our own circumstances. We know that God is big and he's doing bigger things. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't care about what's happening to us, but we can see that it fits into a much, much bigger picture with a bigger purpose. We see this story run through the Bible from the beginning of time all the way until Jesus returns and takes us home to live with him. So let's be brave. Let's live out fear not and obey God. Lord, I thank you for our time together today. I thank you for being who you are and for your faithfulness throughout thousands and thousands of years since the beginning of time, Lord. I pray that you will help us to all be able to trust in you, that even when we feel that fear rising up and welling up in us, that we'll turn our eyes to you, Lord, because you are enough. 
and you are in control. Amen.